Hey guys, you're now listening to the Maranatha House Podcast. How did y'all, uh, who was, I'm trying to remember who all was, were y'all all here last week for Hebrews 7? I didn't. You left early. Yeah. Okay. Does anybody want to recap what we talked about with Hebrews 7? Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Who was Melchizedek? Um, Shem. I'm just kidding. It's not Shem. Uh, I've changed my mind. It was the king priest of Salem. Shalem. Which was, wow. most scholars agree that. Salem was Jerusalem mm-hmm. at that Jerusalem. time. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Shalom means peace. Shalom. <clears throat> so from the city of peace. What else did we learn about Melchizedek? Why was he so important other than being a king and a priest? There's no beginning and no end. Mm-hmm. He served two, he had two roles that not a lot of people had. Mm-hmm. Priest and king. Right. Yeah, you, typically you were either a priest or a king. Uh, there were a few exceptions, like Adam was a form of like a priest and a king. Um, Noah was like a form of a priest and a king. Um, David a little bit though? David was a king, and yeah, I think, yeah, David did some, some priestly things, so like there was a lot of shadows of it. Um, but this priest and king idea... <clears throat> um, oh, and he's the lineage where Jesus came. Yeah, right. David. Or David, David is. Was, yeah. yeah. Um, basically, we talked a lot about Melchizedek because Melchizedek's line it said it went on forever. Um, <clears throat> he, we don't believe. Well, at least I don't believe that he was some supernatural being. That there was anything crazy special about him, other than the fact that God called him a priest unto Himself. So he was a priest unto the Most High God. Um, and so, um, although a lot, a lot of people would try to say that either he's Jesus in the Old Testament or like he's some angel or something like that, I just don't think there's enough there. Um, really, I think it was the Lord creating a space for uh, <clears throat> Jesus to enter into the story, and that's what we see in Hebrews. Because what does the writer of Hebrews say? That uh, even the Levites, through Levi, who was still in the... Uh, the womb or in the loins of Abraham was paying tithes t- through Abraham to Melchizedek, meaning the inferior, the Levites, were giving to what was the greater thing, the Melchizedekian line of priests. And then obviously we see that Jesus was part of this line, that Jesus is a high priest forever, that his he can't be replaced because of age. That's only for Levites. He can't be replaced because of you know, uh, anything really. Uh, he just can't be replaced, unlike the Levites. And that is like, should be super reassuring for us as Christians that Jesus, like, is the greater high priest. He's, like, done the deed. Um, it is interesting, too, that uh, ah, we'll go into that later. God even talks about kings and priests in, like, Exodus. He says, if you obey my commands, when he's starting the covenant, and we'll talk about this a little later, but when he uh, 
starts the covenant with the Israelite people on the Mount of Sinai with Moses after he brings them all out of the uh, slavery of Egypt. He says, if you obey, then, he says, uh, if you faithfully, faithfully obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this king and priest idea was even promised to the Old Testament Jews, but they couldn't fulfill it. Why? Because they couldn't follow his commands perfectly, which who can? So anyway, we're now on to Hebrews 8. Um, So Hebrews 7 was basically just all, really these first seven chapters all work together to set the stage for what the writer's now going to, you know, try to point out. So he he was putting down the foundation, building blocks. Um, So let's read verses 1 through uh, 1 through 6. Does somebody want to read those? Okay. You go first. (laughs) (laughs) Now the main point of what we were saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and minister in the sanctuary in a true tabernacle that the Lord, not man, set up. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So this one too had so this one too had to have something to offer. Now if you were on earth you would not be a priest since there's already priests who offered the gifts prescribed by the law. The place where they serve is the place where they serve is a sketch in a shadow of the heavenly sanctuary, just as Moses was warned by God as he was about to complete the tabernacle. For he says, see that you make everything according to design shown to you on the mountain. Did you say one through six? Yeah, read six too. Yeah. But now Jesus has obtained a, a superior ministry since the covenant that he mediates is also better and is enacted on better promises. Awesome. All right. <clears throat> what stands out to you guys here? There's quite a lot here. Yeah. Last part jumps out at me. The covenant that he mediates is also better and is enacted on better promises. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, I'm understanding that since the promise is better and new, and the tabernacle where he's being our priest isn't on earth, right? Uh, that I okay, so because it's a new promise and it's better, he doesn't do his priestly duties on earth, but in the heavenly tabernacle. Right. Yes. And what was the heavenly tabernacle? What, well, what was the earthly tabernacle? The tabernacle that Jesus commanded Moses to build to, right. to his dimensions. Right. And so, and you you out of everybody would remember that because you've been reading through the Old Testament. So what what it was like some of the things inside of the, in the tabernacle? Covenant? Yeah. Well, the covenant was in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant was in right. the tabernacle. Uh-huh. Um, there was cherubim mm-hmm. in the tabernacle, right? Or the, is it in the? It was on cherubim? on the um, like a statue. So, yeah, it's on the on the ark. There's like the mercy seat yeah. on the ark, and then around the mercy seat is there's four cherubim. cherubim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's in the 
it, it was a tent yeah. in, the, in the Exodus. There, and there was multiple layers. So there was the, the inner, inner court, the innermost court, the most holy of holies. Yeah. And uh, there was instructed to be gold on the walls and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know why I got confused between the temple and the... In the original tabernacle? Yeah. In the temple, I remember having gold on every Yeah. Wall. The temp- so the tabernacle was the first institution of, like, a temple-style thing mm-hmm. because it was given to Moses, and they didn't have the uh, the stuff yeah. to build, yeah. like, a huge building. Yeah. So they just built a massive tent, um, and they were still traveling, so they could, you know, pick, pick it, it up and move it to the next place. It was the portable tabernacle yeah. it was eventually turned into a temple which is right and it was supposed to follow the same dimensions but ultimately like what what is in those first six verses what does it say the tabernacle is a shadow of what is heaven a shadow so when you think of a shadow what is a shadow it's like if i put my hand light. up here on the wall what's what do you see on the wall it's a copy a copy but it's not even a good copy because the shadow literally is just dark. It's only There's like no a detail. Faint outline. Yeah, a faint outline. So when the scripture is saying that the earthly tabernacle was but a shadow of the heavenly tabernacle, it's saying there's parts of it that you can look at and go, that's, that's what heaven looks like. But it's going to be even greater because we're only seeing it through a shadow. Instead of all the beautiful splendor and detail. So like, the, I love that you brought up the mercy seat and the, tap, the cherubim. Because like, God the Father sits on the mercy seat. And the cherubim are like flying around him. They're, they're all around him. I'm pretty sure that's in Revelation. I'm pretty sure that's also in Isaiah. One of the prophets. Or, yeah, Ezekiel. Or Ezekiel. I think the mercy seat in Jesus, thank God, getting out of the temple yep. and going somewhere else. Yep. So, like, that was a picture of what heaven's supposed to look like. <clears throat> so, what the, the, obviously, remember, the context of this book is written to the Hebrews, Hebrew Christians who have, are starting to backslide. Some of them are starting to go back into just Judaism and forsaking Christianity because they're starting to be persecuted. And so the writer's just trying to prove to them, like, guys, we can't go back now. Because all that stuff we had was but a shadow of the things to come. And Jesus is so much greater than all those things for us. Right? Um, so what else do we see in those first couple verses? So there, there are a couple other things. The first ones? Yeah, the first verse 1 through 6. Oh. I think it's interesting that it says in 6, but now Jesus has obtained uh-huh. a superior ministry. Right. I'd be curious to see what that word was. Yeah, obtained and superior is like the question marks for me. Uh-huh. Like obtained. He obtained. He has obtained or hit the mark of one discharging a javelin or an arrow. Uh, become a master of. Um, so I think it's either one of those. He's he's hit the mark. He's done all he needs to do. He's uh, become a master of. He's obtained a better ministry. He's received a better ministry. So what's the better ministry? 
which is being a priest versus the Old Testament priests. The, the like Levitical priests. Yeah, okay. So it's saying that Jesus is a high priest. Um, where is it? Verse. Uh, so verse. Let's go, let's go back and read verse one and two real quick. Okay. And the writer says, "This is the main point of the things that we are saying." That's how he starts it off. So, really, you should go. Oh crap! I've read seven chapters. I probably should listen up to what he's about to say because this is the main point. So he says, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which is set up by the Lord, not man. So what is that saying? That this being the better covenant is set up by the Lord, not by man. Right. So and that dirty what, little hands haven't touched it. And Jesus' ministry now is what? Heavenly. In, in heavenly. He's performing the duty of a high priest in the heavenly tabernacle, one that will not fade away. You know, like the the Old Testament uh, priesthood was going to fade away eventually. Why? Well, Paul talks about it in Romans all throughout. What is the law for? What was Torah for? It was to show us where we were unable to keep God's standard. We, we do not have that ability in us. And so the law was meant to show us how we fail and how much we need a Savior. Um, and so uh, what does Jesus do? He comes in. He like, you know, lives the perfect life. He dies freely of his own will as a servant um, so that we can like, receive uh, the blessing through him. And no longer do we live under this Old Testament system, but now we live... Um, within this new covenant system, which is very different from the old covenant, and it's everlasting. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just some guy taking up the priesthood, it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, in heaven, in the eternal like temple that's never going to fade, performing his role. He's, he's there. He's, it's like somebody were uh, about to become president, but there was n you, you never had any other presidents after that, mm. you know? That was the last president you ever get. That's what Jesus is. He's the last priest you'll ever get. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just making sure. Um, is there anything else stand out to you guys? I'm just going to look up a word real quick. But. It says, uh, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Uh -huh. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer, uh -huh. i.e., his own life, yeah, right. Which is, I guess, the kind of I don't know. It's the, what made the difference in in any other sacrifice. Right. His blameless, his life. Yeah. His blameless life. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. He performed a gr way beyond what they were, uh, the sacrifices they were doing. Yeah. Once again, his was an eternal, once and for all, sacrifice. Stamped, done. Signed, sealed, delivered. I like the word. And Sorry, I'm going to put her down, but he's not quite ready to go down yet. Okay. So if you should keep an eye on him. Yeah. All right, say goodnight. Goodnight, you, Good Good night, Chow. Good night, Harvey. Good night, Good night, Harvey. Good night, 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 Good
So in verse 2, it does say that Jesus is a minister in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle. That word minister <clears throat> is the Greek word leitorgos, and it basically means like public service. Mm. Um, so there's like a word, of the you can translate it different ways. There's leitorga, which means like the noun of public service. Uh, but leitorgas is like Jesus being a public servant, um, doing that work. And it's just really important because usually the word comes with the connotation that he's doing a public service out of the, the expense of himself. So it's not like <clears throat> he's getting a ton of benefit from it. Uh, he's doing it like, uh, and not like unwillingly. It's just he's doing it for us. It's like a sacrifice for him is his his ministry and I think that's so cool like he willingly chooses to lay down his life for us it's literally Philippians 2 which we talked about early on in church which is the uh, talking about how he did not consider himself equal with God even though he was and that he was trying to obtain equality with God yet he came as a servant and chose to like wash feet you know that was that's the Jesus we serve he's so kind and so like loving and this is now, in Hebrews, it's our great high priest. Like, I, I would love to have that guy on my side. <laughs> I'm so glad to have him on my side. Does anything else stand out to you all? Um, there's a footnote uh-huh. on mine. Yep. Uh, right at the end of chapter, or verse 6 uh-huh. to Jeremiah 31, mm-hmm. chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. That is going to be... The next passage, I'm pretty sure. Let me just double check. Jeremiah 31. What was the verses again that you had? 31 through 34. Yep, so that's literally the uh, the, the next, next portion it's right of Scripture. It. You would think they put it under. Yeah, it's funny. I like it. They're just giving you the heads up. Hey, by the way. So, basically what's being said is Jesus is our great high priest. He's serving in heaven, in the heavenly tabernacle, one that never ends. Like, this thing's settled. Jesus is never going to end. His ministry's never going to end. And we are set, We have a firm foundation in him. Um, the old thing was good for the time, but now it's starting to pass. Like, we see that it is a shadow, you know, and that uh, it was not as good as Jesus' ministry. So, who wants to read 7 through 13? For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and, the, and with the people of Judea, Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them up out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will... Wait, where did you say? Uh, all the way to the end of the chapter. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling the covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, 
and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Mm. So we're going to hang off. We're not going to talk about verse 13 just yet, because I know that's probably going to stand out to everyone. But what do we see in the other verses, 7 through 12? Like Angel said, this is a, a prophecy from Jeremiah back in Jeremiah 31. <clears throat> I think it shows like the transformation from following a set of ten commandments on stone mm-hmm. to it being in your heart, right? And having it be something that's actual, actually personal mm-hmm. to each individual. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's that reference? Thirty-two. Thirty-one. Chapter thirty-one, verse thirty-one through thirty-four. And it's literally word for word in this verse. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast this week, and someone, someone, it was like a Q&A from the Bible Project. Yeah. And someone called in about questioning about how the Lord breaks his promises sometimes. Mm. And this, I think, was one of the instances where they felt like he had gone back on his words and broken a promise uh-huh. and started a new one. But this made it really clear that he wasn't the one that broke his promise. It was us that broke it. 100%. And so he fixed it. Yeah. So he he could have just said, all right, well, whatever. You guys screwed up the contract. Yeah. I'm free. You guys are yeah. away from me. But he did not only let us break it, but also fixed the fracture that we created. Yeah. Yeah, we brought this up the last couple times, but in Genesis with Abraham, when God is promising to Abraham that you're going to be a father of many nations... He appears to Abraham. He pulls him out into the tent, out of the tent, and out into the the open air. And he says, "Look up, Abraham. Look at all the stars in the sky. Like you're like you are going to be the father of many nations. And it's going to far outnumber the stars in the sky." Abraham's probably like, "Yeah, dude. Like, you know, we've been waiting a long time and still nothing. So yeah, right." And <clears throat> just a little bit after that is when God puts Abram to sleep <clears throat> and Abram like he visualizes it he sees what happens but it's uh they were setting up a sacrifice uh, to seal their covenant together um and the sacrifice was to take a bunch of birds you cut them in half you set them in a line to make like a path and then each person that was entering into covenant together would walk through the birds uh, down the path and it was a symbol to say that I'm going to fulfill this covenant. And if I don't, then let my life be like these birds. Be torn in half. Let me basically die. I'm like, <laughs> if I don't fulfill this covenant, let me die. Just like these birds. And so um, <clears throat> it's kind of like the really hardcore version of Pinky Promise. Or oh, like, yeah. uh, cross my heart to die. You know, like, that's what it reminds me of. But we see that. Like, Abram goes and helps set this whole thing up with God, but God puts him to sleep. And then Abram, like, kind of is, like, waking up and, like, barely seeing, but he sees uh, God walking through the midst of the birds. But it's not just God, it's the the pillar of cloud. So it's like a cauldron, like a smoking cauldron going through, and then, like, a flame of fire going through. And that's, you know the picture of Jesus throughout the whole Old Testament. And it's a symbol that God is going to fulfill his promise. He basically said, like, I don't even care if Abram's responsible in this part. I am going to fulfill my promise. 
So that covenant was different than the covenant to Israel because God wanted to make a covenant with Israel so that they would be his people and they'd be, you know, like he would be their God. And obviously we read that Exodus passage just at the beginning where God says, if you follow my commands and if you faithfully obey me, then you'll have all this. There was an if there. <clears throat> was Israel able to follow it? Nope. <laughs> That's what the whole Old Testament's telling us. Israel's not able to follow it. And it's even a, a more beautiful picture when we look at Hosea. Because the book of Hosea, does anybody, has anybody read that book? Anybody well, want to yeah. talk about it? And like, that, what? why that, is that important? And that the papa prostitute. Mm -hmm. yes. God tells Hosea to buy uh, Gomer. I'm pretty Gomer. sure it's Gomer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that she's a prostitute and not just buy her, but marry her. And God promises him, he's like, you're going to marry her, but she's going to be unfaithful to you. But I want you to remain married. And sure enough, she is. She's unfaithful. And yet Hosea stays with her. Which was like totally against culture. Right. Especially in Jewish culture. Yeah, you're I mean, supposed to like drag around the stone industry. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. Pretty baller. Yeah. Not baller. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, baller but, of Hosea. Right. Baller of Hosea. Yeah, that's uh, so that's like that 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 is God showing a picture to all the world that like this is how my love is for the people of Israel. Yeah. Like these unfaithful, wicked people, they don't deserve like the the God of gods, the most high. They don't deserve him to be choosing them. Yet he chooses them. Isn't that so powerful? Like, on your worst day, you're probably not nearly as bad as Israel's been in sometimes. Actually, we probably all have been just as bad, so I take that back. Oh, yeah. You know? But at the, even on our worst day, God still says, I want you. Even after we've spat in his face and turned away from him, he still says, you're my people. Frick. Frick. <laughs> yeah, Frick. It's really good. So, what else do we see in those verses? Because that kind of sets up. I just gave a little background. 10 and 11 are uh, tripping me up. This is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel. What, what about it? I will put my laws in their minds and I will inscribe them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And there will be no need at all for each one to teach his countrymen or or each one to teach his brother, saying, No Lord, since they will all know me from the least, from the least to the greatest. I don't know. That's quoting another thing, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. Jeremiah. It's 31, in Jeremiah. 31, 31 through 34. Four. Good job. 31, 31. I had that in the back of my mind this morning. It was just laid on the mouth. Very, very nice. Liar! <laughs> just kidding. The word of blue letter Bible. The word of blue letter Bible. I don't know. It's interesting that you will inscribe the laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Mm -hmm. That's what he commands us to do. Like in Proverbs, he talks about. For us to do so. Yeah. To write those on our hearts. Yeah. This makes sense. To me, I read this and I think, does that mean that the Jewish people, 
the Israel people had no morality and that we get more moral law today because of this new covenant. That's just where my mind goes. Sure, sure. But like that's interesting because that, there's a lot of implications if that's the point. So, one thing that I've uh, understood when reading that because it is confusing, but when we uh, pray to receive Jesus, yeah. what happens? The Holy Spirit. Like as a non-believer. Yeah, if you're a non-believer, okay, and we pray to receive Jesus. You 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 know accept Jesus as your Savior. What happens? You receive the Holy Spirit. You're born again, made new, right? Redeemed. Where does Jesus live? In your heart. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of how I understand it. Okay. Um, and then it's a continual. So here's here's where the disconnect comes because we always think of salvation being a one-time experience where we pray a prayer and then we're saved. But throughout all the New Testament, salvation is three stages. There's I'm saved. Or, well, I, I was saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. And so you can't just say, like, oh, I prayed a prayer, now I'm, like, completely saved. It's a process. Mm-hmm. So we might pray that prayer lots of times. Not that Jesus is, like, leaving our hearts and then coming back when we pray. That's not the goal. It's just more so saying, I want to be more aware of your presence. I want to be more aware of your spirit. I want to be more saved today than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, but understand. Basically, what I'm asking for is I want to understand my salvation more today than I did yesterday. Um, but also, when it comes to like the laws, because God is saying, no longer will the laws be on stones, but now I'm going to write them on your heart. And I'm going to write them, or my, I'll put my laws in your minds, and I'll write them on your heart. So... <clears throat> There's not like a moral system to follow because there used to be a moral system. But now God is like speaking to each individual, right? Uh, Because now everybody's getting something. Now, does he change? No, he doesn't change. But there are different places for each believer. And so Paul talks about this a lot in Corinthians when he's talking about, uh, they ask about food sacrifice to idols. I think we talked about that a couple weeks ago. But... um, there was this big contention in the Corinthian church where they were basically people who were, they were Gentile believers coming in and they were basically saying like, oh yeah, grace, I can eat like whatever. Like I don't have to prescribe to these dietary laws like the Jewish people because, you know, I didn't grow up with dietary laws. I'm just a Gentile, so I can eat whatever. Whereas the Jews who were becoming Christians, they were still like, but yeah, this dietary law thing where I'm not supposed to eat unclean animals and like food sacrificed to idols, I still feel like that's wrong because I grew up knowing that was wrong. So what does Paul say when it comes to, yeah, we talked about this during communion. Yeah. What is Paul, how does Paul respond to that? Follow your own conviction. Yeah. Follow your own conviction. And so now instead of this like system where like the law tells you what to do, it's like, no, you follow your own conviction and you answer to the Lord of your own, like, whatever the Lord told you, you're going to have to be responsible for that. So now, it might seem easier because now everybody gets to follow their own conviction, but actually what's happened is the law has become harder <laughs> because the law has been spoken to each one of our hearts and now we have no excuse when it comes to not obeying the Lord. 
You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it is interesting because I think a lot of people will read that and go, oh yeah, the law is like, there's no more law. Like, there's total grace. Once again, shall grace abound, or shall we sin, continue sinning so that grace may abound? No way. That's not the point. But now, grace gives us the power to overcome sin even deeper. In a way, it feels too like they knew that there was going to be things that obviously weren't going to be in the Bible that we would have to figure out on our own. Right. I don't know why the illustration of drunk driving came up. Uh But there was no such thing as drunk driving during biblical times. Yeah. But the the, the fact that there's the law in our hearts. Yeah. I'm not going to go out and drink and drive to kill someone. Right. So that's kind of how it it's translating to me too. Is like yeah. there's things that we have to figure out because we have the law in our hearts. We can't. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the point. That's, yeah. that's definitely not, not the point he's making, teasing. right? We we talked about it last week too with uh, Hebrews seven, but. Uh, like uh, when it talks about the law you know at the, no, now we're not under the law we're under the new covenant which is a covenant where Jesus is like now living on the inside of us you know we would think that that's like easier and that okay now we don't have to fulfill all these laws from the Old Testament but we said that God's standard is still God's standard because God doesn't change right I mean he changed the <clears throat> so he's changed the form of like salvation so in the Old Testament to be um, basically God's good side to be righteous you had to go to the priest and have the priest intercede for you and you had to sacrifice all these things to like just stay on God's like good side basically but now Jesus has paid it all so what we're doing is we're trusting in a greater covenant um, that is for all time um I my I don't trust myself to like uh I wouldn't be able to save myself. I don't think anybody here would. I know nobody here would. Like we could perform all the sacrifices we wanted to, but we would still just barely be squeaking by if at all. But Jesus' sacrifice, he gave his own life. He did all the work for us. My work is insufficient. His work totally sufficient. Does that make sense? Yeah. My hands can, are, are limited. His hands, unlimited. You're looking at me confused. <laughs> Go ahead, ask your question. I'm catching up in my mind. Okay. Give me a minute. Yeah, yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of, I think you talked about this last week, but it's like the law says don't kill. Or I say if you've even like, right. hated someone in your heart, but you've murdered. Right. And so it's like, it is impossible yeah. for us to live perfectly according to that. Yeah. But that's why he came in. And that what that makes me think of too, because you brought this question up to me the other day. Somebody else had brought it up to you. But when God says, be holy as I am holy. Or be know, perfect. Or be perfect as that's, I am perfect. I think I, I got an answer. But. Yeah. Um, but like that's a great question that I think a lot of us are like, how do I be perfect? You know, because um, even if you were under the old covenant law, like you couldn't really be perfect. You could just be like covered enough, 
if yeah. that makes sense. Um, but what Jesus brings us is this, because now the law is deeper, not just is it if you murder somebody, you get in trouble. How many people in ancient Israel culture probably wanted to murder a bunch of people and felt like it was okay? It was the hypocrisy of the, the Jewish leaders. The, when Jesus shows up on the scene in the Gospels, he's always butting heads with the Pharisees, right? What were the Pharisees doing? They were really good at following all the written laws. Mm-hmm. Yet, their hearts were so far from God. Yeah. They were choosing law over God. They were following, they followed like 600 something laws. Yet, they neglected the poor. There, there was like all these people who were not being healed and were sick and diseased and all this stuff around them and they didn't care for them. Like maybe they did like a mission trip every now and again just to feel better. But for the most part, they were <clears throat> being holy for the sake of holiness for themselves. Yeah. Uh, what is that word? Self, uh, self-righteous. They were completely self-righteous. And when Jesus shows up, he shows them, like, a better way. Yeah, sure, follow the Torah if that makes you feel good. But, like, let's also, like, have a good heart. Let, let's have God's heart, mm-hmm. not just this law. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. I know it's confusing. This is, like, this is the part where it gets hard because we're at a crossroads. And that's typically, there's Hebrews and Gentiles. And it's like we saw in Corinthians, Hebrews, they're like, well, I really... I gain a lot from, you know, following Torah. You know, I know a lot of people who love, like, going back to the Old Testament and, like, following stuff in the Old Testament. And sometimes, most times, I think that they do it uh, because they, it just makes them feel closer to God. And that's great. Like, I do it. I love getting into the Hebrew roots of, like, my faith. The problem is, and this is something I heard on a podcast by Michael Heiser, and I thought, I thought it was so good. But when you start doing things in Torah or these Old Testament systems, if you start practicing them for any other sake, like if you practice them just to feel closer to God because you feel like God might be telling you to try it out and it's a good practice that makes you feel closer in your walk with him, then you should do it. Be encouraged to go do it. You know, if you like celebrating the feast because it feels like powerful. I love Passover. Do it. But... If you feel like that is bringing you salvation and it replaces like the the new covenant in Jesus, then you have become an Old Testament Judaizer. You're becoming one of the the bad guys in this Hebrews who Hebrews is referring to, who's going back to an uh, a faith that is um, missing. It, it's lacking. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we don't want to go back, like and. That So that's, we'll go into verse 13. Uh, and speaking of a new covenant, he's made the first one old. And now that which is old, decaying, old and decaying, is ready to vanish away. What does that mean? Death. It just means the law sorry, system. Asking, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, I was, I was asking. Rhetorical. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. What does that mean? <laughs> if you've got an answer, if you don't, that's okay. Let me reread it myself. Uh, yeah. If it's ups, if it's it's useless, there's no need for it. 
Yep. He has made obsolete. To declare a thing to be old and so about to be obligated. Which I don't know what obligated is. But I know what obsolete means. You did have a 2.7 in college. If you, yeah, I did. Uh, if you've got an iPhone 5, that thing's obsolete. <laughs> right? That thing it's old, obsolete. decaying, maybe not dead yet, maybe still kind of useful, but that thing is obsolete. It is not the, this new thing, this new iPhone 13 Pro Max X. Apple, give me a, some money for this paid advertisement. I'm just kidding. But seriously, that's kind of like what this is like. And why did God work like this? But it was all part of the story. It's all part of the story of the Bible. And that's why I've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, trying to get us to read the Bible as one big story rather than just like taking little pieces and parts of it and using it when it feels right. Like we have to understand the story of Scripture. What is God trying to accomplish through all this? You know, like what God's trying to accomplish is like he's, he wants a human family. But obviously he gives humans free choice and we figure out real quick that we are not really good with free choice and we typically try to choose things other than what's good for us which is God and so God knowing this made a way for us first he gave us a little bit of grace so that the in the Old Testament you can see all these people becoming righteous by you know uh, performing sacrifices or having sacrifices performed on their behalf and believing in God and yes I believe there was a lot of people saved in the Old Testament it was just a hard system to live in mm-hmm. because it wasn't complete. You were always, it was very law-based. But then God made amends. He was setting up the story so that Jesus could show up on the scene and make the impact that he did, which is showing us, like, he, he did all the work for us because he knew we couldn't do it ourselves. He, like, walked out the perfect life because he knew we couldn't do it for ourselves. And so God came in the form of a man as his son, and lived a perfect life, gave his life willingly instead of destroying all of us, and died, went to hell, preached the gospel to the people in hell and Sheol, and beat back, huh? Yeah, but he preached the gospel to them, and then he also like took back the keys to heaven and hell, because how did the devil get the keys? Adam and Eve gave them to him when they disobeyed at the beginning. And so Jesus earns it back. Romans 5 talks about this. Um, And Jesus comes back to earth. He's fully alive. He walks around for like 40 days, shows himself to all these people, all his disciples. He's like, bros, I did what I said I was going to do. I'm back. (laughs) You know? And they're like... Like the football players walking out. (laughs) They're like, what? This is nuts. Like... We were, they were probably depressed, like, we followed the wrong dude, you know? <laughs> we, we put all our eggs in one basket, ah, time to go back. But Jesus is like, uh-uh, I think I got my swagger back. And then he ascends up to heaven, and now we see that he's in heaven, fully alive as a man, because his body was still there when he walked on the earth. And now he's in heaven, and he's working the duty of a high priest on our behalf. I mean, that is crazy. That is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. So why would we go back and exchange this new, this awesome covenant where Jesus has completed everything for us for something that was 
all on our shoulders and us trying to make ourselves righteous. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Understanding the story of the gospel is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that even helps too with like eschatology and stuff, which is like end times and like Jesus coming back. You know, there's a huge cry in America for justice, right? That's the big like thing now. And I'm all for justice. I want justice. And I will fight for justice. I'm not going to not fight for justice. But ultimately, can I make justice happen on my own? In a small portion, yes. But who's the ultimate justice bringer? Jesus. Jesus. What? Mm-hmm. That was a joke. That was a joke. You're wrong. <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate justice. And so the number one thing we can do when it comes to justice is first start all of our justice endeavors by saying Maranatha come Lord Jesus making that a prayer and actually meaning it like come Jesus now because we need you we need our great high priest to come back as king if he's so that's interesting to come here for Jesus to come insinuating that he's not already here well he's not the spirit is the, the Holy Spirit is yeah yeah so why would we pray for Jesus to be here if his spirit is here? Because we have read the story of the Bible where, like, Revelation, when it talks about Jesus coming back. That's like in times, like, the world's over and we're all now being, like, yeah. taken to heaven. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. We're that's that's that to come yeah. so that there's actual true justice yeah. over all yeah. the earth. He can make all the wrong things right. Because he'll be leading on the earth. And it's not this thing of, like, because I know a lot of people would say, there's a, well, there are a lot of people that pray for Jesus to come in the second coming of Christ, but they're bas- they are basically doing it as a way of, like, to hell with everyone else and to heaven with me, you know? Mm-hmm. But the heart of, like, the like, true Maranatha cry is saying, like, we need you here. Like, we can't do this on our own. We need you here now, Jesus. And so, like, it was a cry that... The early church fathers, all the disciples, when they left meetings, they would, like, greet each other. It was almost a way of, like, saying, see you later. They'd say Maranatha. Like, mm-hmm. hey, brother, Maranatha. All right, brother, I'll see you later. Maranatha. It was like a tag to everything. It was a reminder for them to say, like, we're, we're working on something, but, like, we are looking forward to something. We have this everlasting hope. Right. It was also something that Jews would say when they were being persecuted. I don't know if this was uh-huh. like the Holocaust time or whatever, but it was like their way of like that was like their code word. Yeah. Of like knowing I'm a safe person. Oh right. Like saying Maranatha. Yeah, it was like the safe like word. Like writing it on the ground. Mm-hmm. You knew that person was like a believer. Yeah, yeah. The the Didache, which is like a, um, it's like the early church doctrine of how church was supposed to be run by the early church fathers, put out in like the second or third century so it was a little after the disciples uh but basically it was written and it's just littered with like maranatha throughout the whole thing mm-hmm. it's really cool so um i don't know how we got on this i derailed sorry huh i said i derailed oh it's all good no i mean i'm just trying to figure out making sure i'm not missing any bases You know, we have to live with, you, you've talked about this with me, living with urgency. Why do we live with urgency? 
well, because time is short, but also because Jesus is coming back, there will be a final judgment, and there's no, like, salvation past that. So, like, we live with urgency, um, and, and especially in this context, knowing that Jesus is our high priest, we live with urgency that, like, I don't need to waste my time trying to clean myself up and do all these things to clean. I just need to go to Jesus and let him bathe me. <laughs> I just need to, like, he's already praying for me. I just need to come to him. I've been really convicted, and this might be, like, a hot take, but I've been really convicted of some of the things I believe when it comes to, like, healing. And I don't think it's all the way wrong, but I think I, I personally have misplaced things. So I've put... Uh, we've, we've all seen that repentance can lead to, you know, sin being taken away. And uh, then usually that results in healing. Uh, We've seen that a lot. I've been really convicted that I've trusted more in my own repentance than I've trusted in Jesus. And that I've looked at people and said, they won't repent, therefore they won't be healed. And I think that's a crock of dookie, if I can be (laughs) totally frank. Because if Jesus is like, uh, handcuffed by something like that, I don't know. I just don't believe it. Well, I mean, that, there is some basis to that. There's a lot of healings that were tied to, like, repentance. I believe that. Well, there's also, like, a lot of... I mean, there is, like, biblical scriptures where Jesus tried to perform miracles, but it wouldn't happen because the lack of faith of the yeah. people. And that was uh, in his hometown, and then there was another... I think yeah, was I mean, it happened, like, three or four times. Yeah. It was, like... Or it says he tried to perform miracles, but their faith wouldn't allow it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there is some basis to, yeah. if they're not going to repent, they won't see healing. I think more, maybe it's not like, there's a certain way of repenting that I've been thinking people need to follow. Like, that you have to pray a certain prayer, or you have to do, you have to position yourself so perfectly to receive God's blessing. Mm-hmm. It's also, sorry, if I could interject, yeah. like faith and repentance, I would say, are different things. Right. Because I want my faith to be so strong in Jesus that I live a repentant life. But I've been, like, Cam and I have talked about this so much. Yeah. I've flip-flopped it. Yeah. Like, I've been so much more, like, trusting my own repentance than having faith in Jesus. Yeah. So I want it to be the opposite way. Right. Where, like, I want to go to him first. Right. But don't they fuel each other? I think they... I think they go hand-in-hand. Yeah. Hand. I just think it's different. Like, yeah. Like, it's apples and oranges. You could Both you, are good, but it's... like you said, you can go through the stories of healing in the Bible, and there's a lot that have, are based on repentance, but then there's a lot that are based on faith, mm-hmm. and there's like faith healings that happen before there was ever repentance, and there's repentance healings that happen before there was ever really faith. But don't you have to have faith to be repentant, and to be repentant, don't you have to have faith? I okay, so let's take the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And she was, you know, pulled towards Jesus. This isn't a healing story. This is a redemption story. Healing is basically redemption. Yeah. Right? So they bring her in front of Jesus. She's caught in the act. Yeah. And it doesn't say that she was repentant. She's just, like, she's being brought in front of Jesus. And there's no faith either. But what does Jesus say? you know, tells them, you know, cast the first stone if you've sinned. And he sends them all off, and he looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? They're all gone. And she's like, what in the world? And then what does he say? Go and sin no more. So, nowhere in that story was there repentance. Nowhere in that story was there a, a de- declaration of faith in Jesus. So you're saying, like, personal works and not 
it could be healing. It could be all of it. I'm just saying, like, okay, okay. any kind of redemption, I think, to think that... Let's go back to the covenant thing. When God walked through that covenant in, in front of Abram, Abram, they, God did not care what Abram did. That was like God saying, I'm going to fulfill this promise. And so I think Jesus does that, where he says, there, yes, I will work within like certain bounds, and sometimes I won't be able to heal. But there are times like where the Lord's like, I'm just going to heal. And I would rather have a heart that just says, I'm not going to wait for any certain, like, uh, you meet all these certain requirements in order to receive your healing. Mm-hmm. I just think that puts a lot on people that they might not be ready for. And it's like, it's almost like gatekeeping. Like you can receive healing if you do this, that, and the other, when sometimes all people need to do is encounter Jesus. Well, I think I'm thinking about also the Samaritan woman. Uh huh. She was a, that was a, she was a, right. a really useful part of the story in that situation. And she was, I, I didn't really say anything about repentance. He actually, that was probably one of the most head-on encounters I've seen, I really remember in the Bible is, he's like, she's like, he's like almost, it almost felt like heart, lovingly harsh, where he was, she was like, go get, he was like, go get your husband. And she was like, I've got uh, five. And he was like, I don't Yeah. So, she wasn't in a repentant place right there. Mm-hmm. She was still living in it. Yeah. Openly. So there's a, and it's not necessarily healing, but also, like, to both of you guys' points, because I'm, I never really thought of it, so I'm not, yeah. I haven't formed an opinion, but I'm also referring back to, um, uh, what is it, um, Job, where it says, it's oh, kind yeah. of God telling him, like, dude, you can't hold me to, like, a certain measuring, almost right. like a measuring stick. Yeah. Every situation is different. Yeah. Because, like, we see it, we see it all the time now, is like, maybe someone's meant to be healed, whether they're repentant and, and or whether they're repentant or not, or they're filled with, with, um, uh, faith or not. Sometimes people are healed with zero faith and zero, zero, um, what is it? I'm blanking on my words today, but, so, I'm, maybe, maybe you guys are both in the same, in the same playing field, but God isn't, isn't going to do the same thing for everyone. It's, it's going to be a little bit different for everyone. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what, what I think. That's what, like, I'm trying to practice it. Instead of being like, okay, I have this ailment. Okay, what do I need to repent of? What did I do wrong? Instead of doing that and figuring, like, I can take care of it on my own, saying, okay, Jesus, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to show me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, do I need to repent of something? It's a question I give him. And then I follow up on it if yeah. I feel like that. But instead of just being, like, very formulaic and, like, this is wrong, okay, this is the solution. Right. Not mm-hmm. Jesus, me. Yeah. That just feels, like, wrong. I feel like I've done things wrong for a while. You've turned it back into a system. Yeah. And God wants it to be a relationship where his laws are written on your right. heart. Yeah. And but working I also, on your conscience. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I also feel like we can't put Jesus in, put parameters on him. Right. Because sometimes maybe it is his will for him to be... Just put out a piece of bread and watch us walk to it. Right. Almost. Mm. Sometimes it's it's not always that way, but sometimes I felt in my personal life that I need to do something in order to receive some sort of redemption or healing. Right. I need to do something. Because as much as God is a God of meeting us where we are, sometimes meeting us where we are is 
him giving us the space to walk to him first. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I my aunt said this to me this uh, like last week is God's not always going to work the same way for everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the way that he's revealed himself to me, I I I have prayed many a nights for this guy specifically, yeah. Jacob and ready for him to show himself up that way. Yeah. But it doesn't it, it can't it can't work the same way for him like it works for me. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I think that for this guy specifically, he needs to walk a little bit towards the Lord himself first. He needs to open his heart a little bit before uh, God really does anything. That's what I've heard, and that's what I'm seeing with, right. with my eyes. Right. So sometimes it can be a formula. Sometimes it, it might not be. Yeah. So yeah. that's my two cents. Yeah, and I think the whole point is like the Lord wants to move away from formula because that's what got the Pharisees into the point where they were totally formulaic of just mm-hmm. following Torah and thinking they're self-righteous, but they missed so much right under their nose because they couldn't see mm-hmm. past themselves. And so, yeah, that's that's the whole point. I don't want to sit there forever on it. Yes, I totally believe that there's power and repentance and faith and, like, having both of those for, you know, healing and all that stuff. But, like Angel said, I don't dare want to put God in a box. I mean, that whole situation with Job, where God just basically says, all right, brace yourself like a man, Job. Where were you when I put together the foundations of the earth? Where were you? Who are you? Like, God just was basically like, you, listen, you don't know who you're talking to. I'm the, I'm the king up in the... Has anybody yeah. seen, uh, what is that movie? Training Day? Nope. <laughs> pretty good movie. It's pretty yeah. intense. It's yeah. very intense. But Denzel at the end, he's like in the hood and like the whole hood turns on him. And he's like, okay, okay. You gonna turn on me? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm the king up in this piece. <laughs> I'm not saying. It just reminds me of when I got mad at dad using one of my like hot sauces. Uh, and he was like, you see whose house you live in? You see whose car you driving? Yeah. You see whose bed you sleeping in? It's yeah. all mine. <laughs> <laughs> that was such an yeah. intense moment. Uh, yeah. Was that for real? Yeah, yeah. Nice. I was really because Michael was that hot yeah. sauce. Yeah. It was weird. Job. Wow. <laughs> it could be put in that place. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad you brought this up because I, I hadn't thought of any of that. Job 38 through 41. That's, that's where, he that's where God, happen. for three chapters. <laughs> oh, it's three chapters. <laughs> yeah. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you let down? No. Oh, my gosh. Then Job says... I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withheld from you. <laughs> God's like, all right, that's what he says at the end. I just imagine Job in the corner like of a boxing ring getting some water in his face. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bro. The smelling sense. <laughs> yeah. so we, <laughs> we've tangented. I, I'll bring it back and we can pretty much end here because I think we understand what this is trying to say. Mm-hmm. But this whole point is don't go back to the Old Testament system. And it's not saying don't the Old Testament's obsolete. We don't need to read the Old Testament. But I love the Old Testament. And it's just like everything else. And there are pictures of things that come to fruition at the mm-hmm. end of times. You know? And so, like, the there was plenty of pictures of what Jesus... Like, the bronze serpent that was set up in uh, the desert. 
because the people were being um, bit by snakes that were poisoning and killing them. Look at this rod. Yeah, look at the serpent up on the rod. That's such a weird freaking story. And guess what? What? That picture is on every single ambulance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. The Aesculapius. It's actually that that symbol of the snake on like the pole is actually related to uh, like the Greek god of health. What? In Revelation. We studied when we taught in Revelation. Well, yeah, it would have been like second temple period Jewish time. So the time, like right around the time of Jesus' day, like the Greeks believed that this Aesculapius was their god of health. No kidding. And so that was like the symbol was the snake on the rod, which is really interesting that I mean, they must have stolen it, too. From... Yeah, because yeah, that way preceded. Right. Yeah. But that whole story is just weird. Yeah. Why, why is it put there? Why is it... Yeah. It's, it literally just says the story, and then it just moves on. No explanation, nothing. But it's a picture of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's a picture of Jesus sitting on the cross, and the people setting their eyes on him and being healed, being saved. And uh, the bronze is, I think, to depict, like, a, a, a superior being, like... A, a divine being. Mm-hmm. That's Simple. one of the things I remember from being a kid. Uh-huh. I remember that exact that exact yeah. word in that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So when I read it in the Old Testament, I was like, oh, Yeah. God did this. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Does anybody have any like closing thoughts or questions? Learn to pertain what we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> Can you lose <gasps> your car keys if you have time? Yes. <laughs> yep. So, we'll we'll talk next week that or maybe we'll. I think I'm enjoying chugging through this. If y'all are too. Yeah. So maybe I love maybe let's go back to Hebrews nine next week. Does anybody want to lead that one? All right. I'll if attentively, I, let me read it. Yeah, read it first. And let, let me know. read it first. No, I will not be here next week. Boo. Okay, definitely we'll do it this week. Huh? <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. Let's do it right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're just gonna read Hebrews nine so John doesn't miss it. Yeah, I'll read it first. Cause <laughs> Hebrews like nine basically talks there. about the tabernacle. Oh. Okay. So I think you'd do a good job. It compares the earthly tabernacle with Jesus, the heavenly tabernacle. Yeah. So. I, well, I mean more or less. I mean because I don't know what my week might be really really crazy. Yeah. So. I'll be ready. But no my desire what, so. is to. Cool. Do it. Cool. Yep. So, biggest takeaway from today is just don't go back to the law. Go to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, if you find yourself putting the law over Jesus, like being hard on yourself, saying like I should be more like this, that, or the other. No, go to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, put it on Him. Mm-hmm. He's really good. Very, very good. Mm-hmm. So, Papa, we just thank you for today. We bless you. We honor you. Um, we just pray that today wouldn't just stay here, that it would grow, um, and that uh, it would move us throughout the week. Um, I just pray for each person that um, <clears throat> they would see answers to their prayers this week. Um, they would feel your presence and know your presence in a deeper way, that they would uh, conversate with you throughout the week, and that uh, they would go deeper with you, that there would be an awakened desire in each one of us um, to either wake up early or stay up late or just 
do what Jesus did, which was get alone with you. That we would all have a desire to get alone with you. And that we'd make that time this week. So we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope today's podcast blessed you. And as always, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.